Welcome to the Saving Lives Podcast. I'm Eddie Joe. Today, I'm going to be talking about central venous pressure. Also, shorthand for that is CVP. So for the most part, I'm going to be referring to it as CVP for the duration of this podcast. And the reason why I'm going to be discussing CVP today is because it's a way to measure, well, in the opinion of some people, way to measure fluid responsiveness and resuscitation, although I'm going to prove that this is not actually the case. I'm going to try to do my best in doing this without showing you all any images, so bear with me as I discuss this. Some will say that I'm cherry-picking data, but that's the case with everything. I will say that you should make your own judgments, read the supported data, read the cited data, and decide for yourself whether CVP is right as a marker for you to resuscitate your patients who are critically ill in the ICU. If you look back into the history of how CVP was created, at first it was actually named RAP, meaning right atrial pressure. And there was a study published in 1959 in a surgical journal where they looked at the relationship between right atrial pressure and blood volumes. They looked at 25 patients who were status post thoracotomy, did a number of analysis or whatnot, and then they determined that, quote, right atrial pressure is an accurate and sensitive recording of the effective circulating blood volume, end quote. That's a, that's a pretty, pretty robust statement there, calling it both accurate and sensitive. However, there were some problems with this study, and potentially, if it were to be published today, it would not be published today because it would not go through peer review. Why do you ask? Well, there was no summary data and there was no statistical testing that went on with this, with this study. Again, this is 1959. But then in 1962, in another surgical journal, there was an article titled Central Venous Pressure and Optimal Volume Maintenance by John Wilson. And in this particular study, they stated that, quote, a low CVP may be present in patients with hypovolemia or hypervolemia. So in 1962, they already knew that using CVP to determine patient's volume status you know, what was in theory proven three years before was already false. And what they said is that proper interpretation of CVP is the key, more important than the actual number itself. In addition, the the author stated that it is a mistake to treat the venous pressure and attempt to maintain it at some predetermined level. So these folks seem to be pretty astute back in 1962, knowing the limitations of CVP. But then what is it that happened and what put CVP back in the limelight in medical practice? Well, it was all in 2001 when Manny Rivers, or Emmanuel Rivers, published the early goal-directed therapy in the treatment of severe sepsis and septic shock. This is a study that we all know as the early goal-directed therapy study or the Rivers trial. And in this this study, they looked at patients who were in septic shock in, uh, in Detroit, Michigan, And what they used was CVP as a determinant of whether the patient needed additional crystalloids or colloids. And so what they tried to establish was a CVP between 8 to 12 millimeters of mercury. But we have to remember, back in 1962, they said it is a mistake to treat the venous pressure and attempt to maintain it at some predetermined level. Manny Rivers did not do that in his study, but that's okay. Why do you ask? Because in this study, it was able, excuse me, in this study where they looked at CVP as well as mean arterial pressure, SCVO2, etc. Using this protocol, they were able to determine or to decrease in hospital mortality 
down from 46.5% down to 30.5%, with a number needed to treat to save one life of just 6.2. I'm really not trying to throw barbs at Manny Rivers and his team for this trial. I think it was a monumental trial that came out with, uh, with a lot of good practices and far more people paid attention to septic shock, but there are limitations to it. Some of the limitations include just the way people practiced back then. And those things include the fact that using this protocol in the first six hours, patients received about five liters of fluid in the first six hours. I don't know about you all, but I haven't given somebody five liters of fluid in resuscitation in a while. I mean, it's, it's very rare nowadays. And in the first 72 hours, the patients received about 13 and a half liters of IV fluids, which is kind of crazy, but that's the way people practiced. This caused the surviving sepsis campaign to go ahead and change their guidelines. And so what they did is that they included using a CVP target of 8 to 12 millimeters of mercury in their protocols. But since then, there were three different studies that came out in 2014 as well as 2015 called the Process, Promise, and Arise trials. And these three studies were able to show that you don't need that much fluid in the first six hours to have the same results and decrease mortality. As a matter of fact, when they randomized the patients between getting the early goal directed therapy versus usual care, the reverse trial showed that decrease from 56%, about 59% or so, down to 44, but the process trial had between 18 to 21%, Arise had about 18% mortality, and the promise trial had about 30% mortality. So there was no, no improvement by using this CVP target for resuscitation. But there also have been quality improvement measures that have taken place over the last couple of years to help us better take care of our patients. Some of those things include more education for healthcare providers. Also, you know those very annoying sepsis and antibiotic administration alerts? Yeah, those have helped. We also have better rapid response teams. There also is this focus on lactate clearance, which in my opinion, checking the lactate is more of an alarm than anything else, but that's a story for a different podcast. There are also some other improvements like, you know, early referral to larger hospitals when smaller shops are in need of help to get people out quicker. There have also been statewide sepsis initiatives, which have helped mortality as well as volume status assessments. Okay. And as we've learned with the time that CVP isn't as good as we thought it was, even in 2016, the surviving sepsis campaign has kind of changed their tune where they're saying that the use of CVP alone to guide fluid resuscitation can no longer be justified. So that's, that's something to take into consideration. But we also need to consider some of the statistical analysis to help justify why we do certain things. Getting back to basics. What are we trying to do in patients who are hypotensive? Well, we're trying to make them not hypotensive, right? That's, that's pretty straightforward. And so we have to think about what MAP is, what mean arterial pressure is. And at the end of the day, it's cardiac output times systemic vascular resistance plus CVP. But for you and I right now who are, you know, breathing room air, setting up, our CVP is zero. So essentially, MAP is equal to cardiac output times systemic vascular resistance or SVR. And so you can't really alter SVR with fluids. That's not part of fluid responsiveness. So you could just break it down to fluid responsiveness being dependent on either cardiac output or stroke volume. 
And what I mean by that is obviously cardiac output is equal to heart rate times stroke volume. So when you have somebody who's septic or septic shock and needs IV fluids, what you're trying to do is increase their stroke volume, which therefore increases the cardiac output. Does that make sense? So by definition, fluid responsiveness is when you give patient either IV fluids or a passive leg raise and you see an increase in their stroke volume or cardiac output. But then your question is, does CVP correlate with stroke volume or cardiac output? And they've actually done a meta-analysis on this, which was published in 2013 in Critical Care Medicine by Dr. Paul Merrick, who's one of my mentors, even though he doesn't know it. And so what he did was looked at 43 different studies and calculated the correlation coefficient as well as the area under the curve of CVP when looking for these other markers. And so the area under the curve was 0.56. And so I know what you're thinking right now. You're like, Eddie, I, I don't know what area under the curve is. Like, what, what's a good area under the curve? And so a, an outstanding area under the curve is greater than 0.9, for example. Again, remember that the area under the curve here comparing CVP to stroke volume or cardiac output is 0.58. So greater than 0.9 is outstanding, 0.8 to 0.9 is excellent, 0.7 to 0.8 is acceptable, and 0.5, which is around where this is, means that it is unable to distinguish the condition based on the test. In other words, it doesn't work. Then the correlation coefficient is 0.28. And I know you're saying the same thing again right now. Eddie, I don't know what a correlation coefficient means. And that's okay because I didn't know this myself at a certain given point in time. So if you think about a good correlation coefficient is 1, okay? Which means that there's a very high correlation between the two, uh, between the two things that you're exploring. But the correlation coefficient here was 0.28, which is ultimately a negligible correlation. And so in the conclusions to this, Dr. Paul Merrick states that there's no data to support the widespread, the widespread practice of using CVP to guide, to guide fluid therapy, and that this approach should be abandoned, which, you know, is, is pretty harsh, harsh words, but at the end of the day, it's, it's what the data shows, right? But some of you might say, oh, Eddie, well, you know, that's 2013 data. Is there something, is there something newer that tells us whether CVP could predict fluid responsiveness? And as a matter of fact, yes, there is. In 2016, in intensive care medicine, there was a meta-analysis that looked at 51 different studies with a total of 1,148 patients. And what they found is, I mean, and I'm telling you, they, they looked at these patients under several different, uh, several different parameters, whether the patients were in the ICU, whether the patients were on mechanical ventilation, you know, were they, were they benchmarking it against esophageal dopplers? I mean, they, they had a bunch of different parameters where they were looking at the CVPs. And again, they were looking at the CVPs under different thresholds. If it was less than 8, between 8 and 12, or greater than 12. And under every single one of these parameters, they found that the area under the curve was under the acceptable range. It was all in the indistinguishable range, which ultimately means that Looking at CVP to predict fluid responsiveness does not work. Now, some folks might say, oh, but what about in patients who are status post-cabbage, for example, or patients who are in RV failure? Well, yes, CVP has this value there because, you know, you, you're getting a direct measurement of the pressure in the right atrium. And so if somebody's in RV failure, it could, it could help you understand what the physiology of it is. That's not fluid responsiveness. What I'm talking about here is fluid responsiveness in patients who 
are hypovolemic or, or have ha- have septic shock. But then there are people who say, oh, okay, Eddie, but I know you can't use it in an isolated number. Even, even the surviving sepsis guidelines as of 2016 says that. What about using the Delta CVP? Well, that's not something you think about. Like, okay, does the CVP started at this number? Do I give fluids to try to get it up to a certain other number? And they've actually looked at this data where they've actually compared CVP measurements against using VTI, which is an echocardiogram uh, skill, and using passive leg raise. So what they did in a particular study that was published in 2020 in critical care medicine titled Increased Increase in Central Venous Pressure During Passive Leg Raising Cannot Detect Preload Unresponsiveness. And in this particular study, they went ahead and looked at 50 patients. And what they did is that they compared a delta CVP of greater than or equal to 5 versus a delta in the VTI, which once again is something you do with an echocardiogram. And they found here that the area under the curve was 0.59 which again is very, very close to the 0.5 being the unacceptable range. I mean, it's not even in the acceptable range. So ultimately, you know, if you're gonna use CVP to guide fluid resuscitation, you need to be aware of all the limitations that it has. I mean, you could use a CVP if you have absolutely nothing else, but it's, it's likely to be wrong. And you should know when to use it and take all those different limitations into account. I hope you guys enjoyed this particular review on CVP. It's uh, it's something that I don't regularly use in my practice. Again, I do use it in my patients who uh, I suspect of having RV dysfunction, as well as my patients who are status post cabbage or some sort of cardiac surgery. I find it useful in those patients. But for septic shock and fluid responsiveness, I do not use CVP. Hope you guys learned something. Thank you very much. Have a great day.